Somebody want to pray to open us up? Uh-huh. I'll pray. Okay, thanks, Tony. Well, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We just uh, realized, Lord, that it's really important to study your word, to, to grow from it, and help us to apply the things that we learned this morning here with uh, Pastor Sean as he teaches, and bless the time together. In Christ's name, pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I wanted to kind of lead with application this week instead of end with application because we tend to like squeeze out application at the end because we have so much fun talking about the principles. So uh, <clears throat> I talked with some folks who had read uh, this new book by Amy uh, Chua uh, called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, basically the superiority of Eastern parenting styles over Western kind of permissive kind of feel you know feel good be your child's friend kind of tiger mother I mean it probably will be <laughs> so uh, kind of the thesis of this book is uh, this lady's an economist law professor author um, very well, her kids are high achievers, and she credits herself with that. Um, but as I talked to a few of you guys uh, who were raised by such a mother, um, you're trying to wrestle with, man, I didn't feel loved, or I felt kind of harmed by this approach. It, quote-unquote, had great results, but it didn't result in a great relationship. And trying to deal with, how do you address a parent who has kind of hurt you in their parenting when they're doing basically what their culture told them to do and what their quote-unquote heart told them was best for the family. And and so I wanted to kind of have you guys teach me a little bit about how do we, um, kind of what are the cultural barriers in, in Asian culture to addressing a parent who has hurt you? Like, is that just crazy to think like you would tell your parents that they hurt you or there's something wrong with yeah yeah <laughs> so it, let's talk about that a little bit because we're basically talking this morning about going towards a person that has offended you and telling them that they've offended you which is like get ready for <clears throat> battle royale right of basically you're disrespecting so I want to maybe kind of let's hear from each other about you know Obviously, God knows what He's doing, but He's also doing something countercultural in in many in many ways when He calls us to go towards someone who has hurt us and then say that there's been hurt involved, and the very act of that, quote unquote, creates hurt to say that there's there's a problem. So when we hear the Bible, we sometimes I like what Tim Keller calls them defeater beliefs. Basically, that's great, but you don't know my mother or you don't know my culture, like, this would be absolute suicide, you know, relational suicide to go to the person who, who hurt me. So I want us to also, as well as pushing the biblical principle, also know, be ready for the blowback from actually implementing this in your culture, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's your church, whether it's your kind of ethnic uh, surroundings. Be ready for this not to fly very well, because it's counter... But is it necessarily just an Asian thing? Because if you talk to a lot of people who grew up in military <laughs> families, and particularly if their dad was a drill instructor, which could be the more intense 
Yeah. There are some uniqueness in military families, particularly not only their father, but their grandfather and so forth, or the military. Um, some of that carried over. Tell there's, there's a culture there as well. Yeah. They can have similar, perhaps similar. So what's kind of the big, what's kind of the core issue in that, you think? If we were to put some words to it, what are the values of that culture? Okay, so we got authority. So actually, who you are is really important on the great chain of command, the chain of being, right? So we have superiors, and we have inferiors. Uh, Eric's been military, so he knows. What are inferiors allowed to say to superiors? Say it again. What are inferiors allowed to? Yes, say? sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So there's actually a limited, we could call it limited vocabulary. And the word is usually, yes, there's one word. <laughs> and there's certain postures, there's certain tones of voice, uh, certain speeds of you say yes and then you run to go. And you can't say but. Yeah, and there's no butts here, right? Or your butt, your butts and and the clinker, right? Yeah. So. Why? Yeah, it's another one. Tommy was also. So, yeah. Does anybody does that kind of relate? You guys have any kind of illustrations, or or how does that bear out in kind of Asian cultures? I think you know, for me. Uh, my parents, even though I am Asian and I understand Asian culture a lot more, but my parents definitely raised me with a, in a flatter way, in a more egalitarian way, yeah. uh, kind of the more American style. And which, by the way, I would say this: that um, I, I've noticed that uh, when Anglos culture, they always talk about oh, Asian culture or Black culture, but. Everything is culture. There is no such thing as cultural as expression of biblical ethics. There's white culture. There's American Anglo-Saxon culture, which is just as needing reform from the biblical worldview as But I would say that um, I run into that a lot. Like, for example, my, my mother-in-law. The way I speak to my mom is really like, I guess, American style. I speak in a very blunt way. I tell her what, when I think she's wrong. <laughs> and I, and when, she, when she suggests something, I always say, mm, I don't think that's good. Um, but so, even though I definitely tone it down, dial it down, and, and I'm more deferential with my mother-in-law, even, even when I try to do that, it sounds really, um, to her, very um, confrontational and it's way too direct. It's yeah, too direct. Yeah, I forget that I'm not. I'm just supposed to say yes and not the but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think what you said is good about culture because obviously I'm trying, you know, and I, when I was ministering in Canada, almost everybody looked like me, but they were also in a different Anglo culture, right. and so they thought I did things because of American culture. And my answer, it sounds maybe really self-serving, but I was just giving Jesus' answer, right? <laughs> Me and Jesus on this one were really tight. It wasn't because I was American. But then again, I was a, 
expressing that out of my Jesus plus American lens. So one of the things, the way, the reason I'm talking about this is we want to think about are there any lenses or any layers that get in between me and obeying God's truth? I just need to be ready for those. I can't blame it on my mother. I can't blame it on, you know, my DNA. But we need to be aware about what's going to make this hard as I'm going into this. Let me be really... Jesus called it being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So this is kind of like when we're going into stuff, we need to be super wise about... Um, you know, what we're going into, because parts of our families or cultures are resistant to the gospel in certain ways, so we've got to be ready for that. Because we're going with our hearts wide open and with the love of Jesus, and we're like, this is going to be awesome! And then it's not awesome, it's like a super bad day, you know, it's like, well, that's the last time I do that, you know, so, yeah. I'm wondering um, if this applies not just to culture, cross-culture, <coughs> but also, like, temperament. Yeah. So that maybe you're a very forward temperament. Like that's me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like to be blunt. And that's my personality. But then there are other personalities that are more reserved, and more subtle. So you could also be blowing away somebody, you know, just because they're a different makeup, you know. And uh, there's a verse in First Peter relates to the husbands and wives, but it says, "Husbands, deal with your wives in an understanding way, so that your prayers can be heard." And a, and then there's a controversial phrase about weaker vessel, but you're not going to handle that today in the sermon. Somewhat. Somewhat. Okay. Yeah. So Michael's going to touch that hot potato. I won't. But the principle is: know who you're dealing with, and know what their struggles are, and know what their, you know, style is. Not to say basically. But it's one way of love serving one another, not in the way we would like to be loved, but in a way that would be loving to them. And uh, so actually, you can think about it this way. Um, if God gets a hold of your heart and his word gets a hold of, of you and you start to begin this peacemaking thing, just be ready to be very patient with those who have never done this and where peacemaking means losing face and losing, you know, literally honor in one sense. Because in one sense, the gospel does flatten out these things in a certain way. Uh, not totally. There are, we're going to talk this, uh, Michael going to talk this morning about differences and roles. But the gospel uh, begins to deal with us as brothers, sisters, more than it is just father, mother kind of thing. And, and and I do this with my boys, is basically, I'm bigger, stronger, I can make your life miserable, but because I want you to look like Christ, I'm going to talk to you like a brother. I'm not just going to use my authority, I'm going to use the gospel to reach, reach your heart. So authority doesn't go away, but the way we exercise it is, is really important. So for a kid to talk to, an adult child to talk to an, a parent about where hurts have happened, we have to be brave, but also a little bit wise about this is going to maybe be dicey. You know, and I think um, definitely there's flaws in different cultures, you know, and I, I would say the flaw in American culture is that um, they don't, there's not sufficient respect for authority. It's yeah. too flat, you yeah. know. Um, whereas the Bible definitely recognizes some hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But I would say that in Asian culture, it's like the number one thing is not to lose face not to look bad. 
And I think that's where the gospel can speak to that culture because the gospel says you can expose yourself, you can show weakness, you can confess, you can repent, but you know that doesn't destroy you. But that's actually how you grow in grace. But I think it's that's the big struggle. Maybe in some degree. That's a struggle for people in IDC because I think there's a lot of reluctance to admit sin, you know, um, because we don't want to lose face, we don't want to look bad. Um, but yeah. you know, the gospel says we can repent. And Jesus lost face for us. Literally, he was marred beyond recognition. So physically, he was he lost face, so we could be remade in his uh, his beauty. Actually, let's. Kind of this ties in with this last verse. Um, <clears throat> let's see who can I pick. Uh, I was thinking about First Timothy five one. If I'm floating off my head, where it talks about not rebuking an elder, yeah. <clears throat> but treating him like uh, a father, as a father. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which uh, to maintain the dignity and position of, of of a person, and yet not sort of uh, ignoring the issues at hand. They get carte blanche because they're at the top of the... Right, right. And I think that's something I, I tend to struggle with because I have higher expectations of people who should know better. Therefore, I ratchet up more. You might hammer them harder. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hammer them harder, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, particularly ecclesiastical leaders because I expect more of an ecclesiastical leader than I do of a political leader who's a non-Christian. Yeah. So my tendency is to ratchet up even more because my expectations are higher. In actuality, I should be even more gentler. You think of the way uh, uh, Nathan approached David. Yeah. You know, uh, and actually, it's counterintuitive as how I would really want to respond. They kind of told a story. There was right. this guy. He had a lamb. Very subtle. <coughs> right. And then he's like, "You're the man." <laughs> it got kind of pointed right, and heated right, at right. the end. But, yeah. but he doesn't start off by saying, "You're the man." Yeah. Right, right, right. It's he like we would start there at the end. Right, right, right. When he's still sort of like. Yeah, you have outrage, but at the wrong dude, you know. Be mad at yourself, yeah. Okay, uh, can you read that last verse? It's at the bottom, uh, and then it goes to the other side. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to the senses and escape from the snare of the devil. After being captured by him to do his will. So this verse has some cool uh, elements in it that that we can look at. In that very first phrase, what does he call this person who's doing the confronting? What does it describe the person who's going to confront and correct and be kind. It's a very neat title. Let's say, Lord's Servant. <clears throat> it means that when we're talking to someone about a problem, we're actually being God's agent. Not because we're the righteous, like, holy war, baby, I'm coming with you know, my Bible verses, I'm coming, I'm ready to, let's, we're ready to rumble, right? But what does it say down here? Oh, patiently enduring evil, 
not quarrelsome, um, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So there's someone who's coming to say there's a problem, but they're not coming in battle gear and they're like just hopped up on adrenaline ready to fight. There's this sense of being used by God to bring about, and what does it say at the end about the goal <coughs> on that very first line there? Grant them what? Our hope is that God would grant them something. Repentance, right? So if you think about it this way, this is who I am. God's a redeemer, God loves sinners, and God can use me in this situation. And this is the, we could say, this is the purpose that this person can be turned back to God. But something has kind of commandeered them. Something has hijacked our relationship. Something has hijacked their heart. And we're basically coming to invite them to change, to invite them to be set free. Um, from sin. Because <clears throat> once that's when the gospel gets a hold of us, we can see not only just how we have been sinned against, but we can start to see how sin has enslaved our friend, or our mom, or, or our wife, or our pastor, or, you know, we're basically, we're not blown away by who they are, we're sort of blown away by who God is, and that sin has captured one of my friends, and I want them to be uh, be set free. Uh, I didn't put it on the, on the page, but uh, listen to this uh, passage, uh, we talked at staff meeting about kind of Christian community. How do we build it, build it, and how do we exercise it? Basically, fellowship that isn't just how was your day, how was your week, uh, kind of Facebook level, but more how do we have friendships that help us grow, get over sins that are kind of capturing us. And this is in Hebrews three twelve and thirteen. So maybe write that down and you can look it up later. But listen, uh, Hebrews three twelve and thirteen. So basically, he's telling the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness and they really miss Egypt because life is hard trusting God out in the desert where you have to wait for food to fall from the sky and you have to walk every day and you have to listen to Moses. really hard. And it, and it basically says, don't harden your hearts when you hear his voice as you did in the day of rebellion. And uh, that's kind of... And, and it says God said, they shall not enter my rest because they basically had rebel hearts against God. And then verse 12... Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. <coughs> so we're literally like taking out hijackers. Not like with a gun to the head or something, but when we come to our friend and they are captured by sin, maybe some anger they have, or I was right in this situation, I was right, you were wrong, you know, basically holding to your rights at all costs, you're inviting them to lay that down so that they're not a hostage anymore to to whatever is holding them uh, captive, anger, or... Uh, because there's an interesting word in here. It says the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so tricky. 
and especially in relationships, it's so tricky. We talked last time about percentages of wrong. Hey, I'm only 10% wrong, but your 90% made me have 10%. So if you would just quit being a jerk, I wouldn't have sinned, and this would be awesome. You know, I, you know, you you did this to me. But that's where sin is tricky. Is it? It really fools us into thinking not weighing things properly, not looking at things from God's perspective. We just look at our, our hurt feelings, and uh, those tend, tend to rule us. So yeah, let me just read the principle. We kind of started backwards, but I want us to kind of think about um, what Eric said, basically says, how we come uh, to people is very important. And I think this verse talks about it with gentleness ready to do a rescue mission instead of ready to do a drop the payload on them and watch them glow nuke them till they glow kind of thing so uh, which is what our hearts want to do I just want them to be gone right Uh, instead of pretending that conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their backs we will overlook minor offenses or we will talk personally and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook seeking to restore them rather than condemn them. When a conflict with a Christian brother or sister cannot be resolved in private, we will ask others in the body of Christ to help us settle the matter in a biblical manner. <clears throat> okay, so there's a few good uh, things going on in here. We're going to look at it from uh, Scripture. <clears throat> Does anybody still have their picture from last time, the little half wheel of cheese or whatever it looks like. I don't know. It's called a slippery. So this is peace breaking. Look at all this hot. Just like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Too hot. Too cold. Just right. So uh, peacemaking is... And this is peace faking. So on this extreme is murder. On this extreme is suicide. level of peacemaking is overlooked. Uh, let's see. Can you read Proverbs 19? It's his glory to overlook an offense. Have you been able to overlook something someone did to you? I'm not very successful at that. But uh, <clears throat> what does it do if you overlook an offense? What What are the benefits or what does that do to a situation? <clears throat> it depends. Depends on the nature of the 
in in First Corinthians chapter five, the uh, Corinthian church was overlooking this guy who shacked up with his father's wife. Not, they should not have been overlooked. Yeah. And Paul rebukes them for that. Yeah. Um, but then it seems like there's a corrective, and the next one seems like they've gone too far. Now he has to talk. Now he has to tell them, "Well, look, don't totally crush the dude. You know, he's, he's repented. Now you got to restore him." Yeah. But there can be an overlooking of the way in which you, you have expect. I think it relates to expectations. Yeah. You have different expectations of your five-year-old than you do of your fifteen-year-old, and so you are patient with the uh, some things that your five-year-old put up with and wouldn't overlook in your fifteen-year-old. And sort of the same way I think oftentimes we interact with, or should interact with each other is, you know, is, is my expectation so high that, you know, every time they, some teeny, meaning little thing, I feel like i got to jump down on it. So sometimes you just say, I'm going to let it ride because it's not a big deal. It's annoying. Maybe it was dumb. Maybe it was lame. I don't want that to happen a whole lot, but... It says love covers over a multitude of sins. Basically, we don't bring up every single issue. Because what would we be doing? Hi, me again. That thing you did the other day. Let's talk about it. You know, like, can we really do that to our friends? It's like, we would have no relationship. There's just, we have our days. We're sinners. God loves us. We're supposed to, we're like. Or, um, what I do a lot is, I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah! Remind them. Remember I warned you about that. Yeah. You had it coming, and here it is. So, I, you don't have my pity, right? You know, so it's like, love overlooks a multitude of sins. But, but, what if you can't just go, whatever? What if there's a real issue, and it's just staring at you, and it's bugging you? <clears throat> there's two things we do with it. Here it says, we pretend it doesn't exist, or we gossip. Because gossip is actually confessing others' sins to others without talking to them about it, right? So basically, you're, you're not talking to the right person. Because remember, I erased it, but what's our goal in seeking to restore a relationship? According to that first... Uh, the verse that Kay read. That through our interaction, God would grant them repentance, right? <clears throat> so if we're coming to say to them, we have a problem, that's a gracious opportunity. It's not an attack, right? You're saying, there's a problem here, but that problem can go away by God's grace. That problem can be dealt with. And so we're actually coming as an agent of reconciliation not as we're from the government and we're here to help, you know, and basically like <clears throat> we're actually really here to help. We're here to offer a real solution because we're coming. But this is where God's wisdom is countercultural and really backwards upside down. Is that the offended person goes to the offender. That's huge, right? In normal quote unquote normal life, what does the offended person supposed to do <coughs> yeah the bitter. bitterness just nurse a grudge let it fester get real nasty and until it glows you know? and then you're like you know it's just like you touch me and it, it goes off right 
So yeah. Let's read Matthew 18. Uh, Tommy, can you read that? Um, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him this fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, you <coughs> take one or two others along with you. That every charge will be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed um, in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. <clears throat> okay, we'll call this DEFCON 1, <laughs> DEFCON 2, DEFCON 3. Yeah. <clears throat> At DEFCON 1, how many people are involved in this this passage? Just two, right? <clears throat> So we'll call that offender and offendee. <coughs> so there's only two people involved, and they're basically having a relationship. They're talking about, man, you hurt me. One on one. <coughs> and this obviously cuts off uh, gossip. Because three's a crowd, right? It doesn't go to anybody else because the problem's only between these two people. And I'm embarrassing the other person. Yeah. So you haven't like built your case with other people's help. Because in one sense that's not fair. Because basically you're assuming the best about this person. That when they are told that there's a problem, we're trusting that God's at work in their heart, that God loves them, that they love God, that maybe they had a bad day, maybe they just weren't thinking right. You're giving them the opportunity to repent and have it be restored. How easy is it for them to repent if you've gone to party number three and told them what they've done? Yeah, because you've actually created, you've actually sinned against them. So now they have something against you, right? You've muddied the waters, you've, been, you've escalated it unnecessarily, because you assumed, they're such a jerk. They're not going to listen, they don't care. It's obvious they don't care, because they did X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> but if you talk to them and they don't see it, they won't see it, they're very hardened against you, they won't listen. DEFCON 2 says what? How many are involved? So we got an offender, offendee, and we call it TF, trusted friend. <clears throat> comes and gets it. Someone that knows you both and loves you both. Because the goal is repentance and in 1 Corinthians it says to win your brother. This isn't for you to win the argument. It's to win. You're coming in a mercy rescue operation for your friend. But then only then. So you're saying in DEFCON 2 <coughs> the third person you involve, you have to be wise. Let's <coughs> well, just say two or three witnesses. 
Yeah, that. Let me make sure I got it. I think he's talking about two being DEF CON one, three being DEF CON. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are technical biblical terms, by the way. Yeah. In the Old Testament, nothing could be brought up in a legal charge before the judges of Israel except by two witnesses. One witness doesn't count. Because you could say anything, right? Right. They raped me, they stole my cow. It's like your word against their word, right? So there had to be somebody that could testify to it. And uh, so, yeah. So now we have, now guess what this person is? They are actually a material witness that this person doesn't want to be reconciled. So there's been now two witnesses to the offense of non-reconciliation. And then basically, and Christians are, there's two schools of thought on this. Tell it to the church. Uh, some people literally take this as we send out a newsletter to the church. Uh, <laughs> person A is not being forgiving, so give them a call and tell them to shape up. Or uh, and kind of in the way that uh, Michael and I would approach this in our uh, ordination is that this is talking about church elders, that the elders of the church on behalf of the peace of the church, basically come to this person and invite them to repent. And there's some or else language that you see here, um, which in one sense feels a little creepy because it's like, we're here, this is like a big family. We love each other. Do we vote family members off the island? Well, some days you wish, but it's like we just don't do that to family. But it basically says... If they will not repent after being confronted by the church, it says treat them as a Gentile, which means they aren't acting according to their profession. It means they would rather live by the rules of the world, which is keep a grudge, hate people, don't repent. That's not what a Christian is I think like. a lot of people misinterpret that to mean yeah. that you give them the total cold shoulder and yes. cut them out of your life. But what it really means is to let them know you know, you're not on the path to salvation, yeah. right? You're outside of God's grace. You're not acting like a believer. So you need to know you're not a Christian. Yeah. You, know, you need to know that you're not in the church. Your train you know, is going. You. Yeah. Yeah. Your train is going in reverse, basically. Yeah, exactly. In one sense, the offender drives the train. Because <clears throat> it's not just these mean elders are kicking people out of the church because they're annoying. It's basically this person, like you said, is showing that the direction of their life and the direction of their heart is opposite of the gospel. That the church is, we're saying, we want to go towards Christ and we want to repent. This person is obviously going towards bitterness, unreconciled. And so the end is X communication which means there's no fellowship. They're breaking fellowship. They don't want to live by the gospel. They don't want their sins forgiven. They don't want to forsake their sins. So they're basically saying, I don't want to live like a Christian together with other Christians. So being barred from the Lord's Supper is one of the, quote-unquote, penalties. Uh, and I think um, where we see that done very badly is churches where they don't have a good understanding of church membership. Yeah. Right. So 
because they have such a loose understanding of church membership, it just means, well, whoever just comes to church is in the church. Yeah. That means to, to take them outside the church is to, like, totally shun them. But if you understand church membership, it just simply means that they're part of the table, yeah. that we don't consider them a believer, but you still can associate and love them. Yeah. So it's not just we take them off the church email list or we don't schedule them <laughs> and set up. You know, it's there's something a little more, there's teeth to it. Um, so, texting this <clears throat> so yeah, the assumption, uh, just to kind of blow through the points real quick in review, is the gospel, since we copy God in this, we move towards the offender, which is what God's done towards us. He's moved towards us and reconciled with us. And we didn't really get to this, but I think this makes sense. We need to be armed with more than our hurt feelings if we're going to see restoration happen. Uh, Galatians 6 calls it, you who are spiritual, meaning you need to be thinking not just I am hurt, but thinking about what God loves to do uh, for sinners. And then the goal is actually repentance, not just delivering your ultimatums or your uh, case. You want to win your brother back from the sin that is uh, holding him captive. So we're actually going to talk about church government down the road here in a bit, so uh, we can talk more about what does that look like and what's the threshold for that that kind of stuff. So, Good. Well, if you have any questions, uh, email them to me or bring them up next week. We'll wrap up this up next week.